Amen. Well, remember, we won't be here the next five Wednesdays. We'll be at Alexander Park in Lawrenceville uh, from at 7, I guess it's 7, 8, 30, somewhere around there. And then for two weeks, then we'll be at Cherokee Bluffs for three weeks. By that time, everybody should have preached the gospel to someone there. But uh, right now, we're in the book of Ezra. I didn't get to talk to Pastor Brian, but I did run back there and talk to Jordan because what I think we're going to do, we're going to record the next two chapters of Ezra. We'll do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, one of those days. So hopefully we can keep those playing while we're at the park. And we're just going to go through the Gospels while we're at the park. Um, Maybe someone will hear the blessed account of Jesus Christ and what he can do in sinner's life. But we're in uh, Ezra chapter 8. I think we'll pick up around 14 when we get there, but I want to look at Ezra and him keeping specific interest in lists and precious numbers, whether it's it's the number of returnees, whether they're servants of Levites or temples or horses. Ezra keeps a perfect number. We're going to really look at his diary. We know that Ezra and Nehemiah kept diaries. So the Holy Spirit is looking into what they wrote. And uh, Ezra from 727, chapter 7, verse 27, to the end of chapter 9, apart from a brief return uh, from the third person, I think it's Ezra 8, chapter 35 through 36, is written in the first person. We'll be looking at that. It seems as though this material, once again, has been taken out of Ezra's diary. I'm amazed at people who keep diaries. I'm not disciplined enough. I'm reminded of Paul Allen. Since I've known him, he's always writing in his diaries, and that will be something good that his kids can go back and read. Every year, I say I'm going to start a diary. So I probably will start one when I'm 67, and then I'll live six months, so they won't have much. (laughs) But that's discipline, to just look back and see how the Lord works in your life and your family's life. And we're going to look at, as the Holy Spirit is moving through Ezra, I'm surprised, well, really, I'm not surprised at the liberal scholars, because they say, people say the Bible is in error, and I believe it is. It's infallible. Uh, I love the way Chuck Swindoll says it, incapable of misleading or deceiving. That's our scripture. But when it comes to, when it looks at the numbers of things and, and, and when he's counting, they said that's not, that, that's not uh, uh, irrelevant because they don't know if that's true. But yes, with God, it is, it's all true. So the liberal scholars, they have that wrong. Uh, when it comes to statistics, because we'll see people's names set, set over three or four times over, and then they'll say, well, the list is different in Nehemiah's case than what Ezra was writing. But I like what uh, one, one pastor said. I think it was John Wesley. He, he said this, if there be any mistakes in the Bible, there may as well be a thousand of them. He says, if there be one falsehood in that book, it did not come 
from the God of truth. And I have to say amen to that because everything in the Bible, God has breathed in it. And God is not a man that he should lie. And so everything I read, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's the word of God. And they say this because uh, you'll see the, the name of El Nathan. I think he's mentioned three times. And so they said, well, they must have made a mistake while this guy is mentioned three times. Well, they never, I guess they never thought of there might be three El Nathans. That's, that's what they said about that. Uh, so the Bible, once again, it's not a limited uh, inerrancy. The Bible is full inerrancy, word of God. B.B. Warfield said this. He insisted a century ago, it is a first principle of historical science that any solution which affords a possible method of harmonizing any two statements is preferable to the assumption of the inaccuracy or error, whether those statements are found in the same or different writers. To act on any other basis, it is clearly acknowledged is to assume, not to prove error. And I have to say amen to that. Secondly, the way in which we find such solution, they must be harmonious with the rest of the scriptures, with the doctrine of scripture. It is wrong to construct our doctrine of scripture on such discrepancies. There are apparent errors, therefore, and then they say the Bible cannot be inerrant. And so they're going against God. Paul knew that the Old Testament, Old Testament had discrepancies, but he still said, it is God-breathed in 2 Timothy. If the Bible comes from God and God cannot lie or err, in some way then the Bible cannot lie. We must therefore find some way of harmonizing or reconciling such discrepancies rather than resort to a view of limited inerrancies. That's foolish. The view of limited inerrancies gives a false appearance of stability why should the Bible err only in matters of numbers or statistics? Try that with your accountant. It does not matter. It mattered then and it matters today. So I have to arrive with the scriptures. It's always accurate. So let's start here with the verse. I'm going to read, start at verse 15 of chapter 8. I want to show you something real quick. When Ezra is getting these men and women and they're going, Jerusalem had 12 tribes, we know. There's 12 minor prophets, 12 disciples, and here you're going to have 12 families that goes back with them. In verse 15 of chapter 8, it says, Now I gathered them by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there three days, and I looked among the people and the priests and found none of the sons of Levi there. He's got all these people, they volunteered to go, and he happens to look, and he, he knows that there's no sons of Levi. That's not good. He says in verse 16, then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, El Nathan, Jerob, El Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leaders also of Jerob, and El Nathan, men of understanding. And I gave them a command for Edo, the chief man at the place, uh, Casaphia, and I told them what they should say to Edo and his brethren, the Nethanim, at the place Casaphia, that they should bring us servants for the house of our God, then by the good hand of our God upon us, 
That's confident. I need to say that every morning when I get up and go. The good hand of the Lord is upon me. Like I said, he's inside of us now and more, I believe, than he was in Ezra. They brought us a man of understanding of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah with his sons and brothers, 18 men, and Hashabiah, and with him Jezahiah of the sons of Merari, his brothers and their sons, 20 men. Also of the Nethamon, they were the slaves whom David and the leaders had appointed for the service of the Levites, 220 Nethanim. All of them were designated by name. Now, remember, this is a one-way trip. They're not going back. We have no evidence to suggest that, for example, that the members of the 12 families listed in the earlier section of chapter 8 represents all the members of these families, just as when King Cyrus let them go the first time 80 years before this, not everybody went back. And so not all of the family members are going. So you can imagine the crying and the weeping and the, hey, make sure you take this and remember this and that for this 900-mile trek they're about to make. There will be scenes of farewell. Therefore, as family members said goodbye, knowing that in all probability they would never see them again, those older family members, they could not go because they wouldn't make the trip. A meeting point was chosen for prayer. So Ezra, uh, um, it's funny to me because Ezra shows all of this confidence, but in the end, he gets together and he has a great prayer meeting at one of the tributaries of the Ahava River. Verse 15, it says, Now I gathered them by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there three days. So he had time to get things ready, a prayer meeting, everything was going on, because when he was talking to Artaxerxes, he had so much confidence, or he showed so much confidence in the Lord, but now he's, put his, he's got to put his steps where his faith is a living faith. He said it, but now he's got to walk it out. And that's what he's going to do. He says, and I looked among the people and the priest and found none of the sons of Levi there. Now, this is a problem because you needed the Levites to do all the work in the tabernacle, in the, 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 the temple and do all of that. It was for the Levites. The Levites charged with ministering to the Kohanan, which was the priest, and keeping watch over the tabernacle and later the temple. They also functioned in music. The fact that no Levites were among them, it was a serious problem. And to know that Levites were there and they knew what Ezra was doing, I'm surprised that not one Levite showed up. This is a Midrash commentary, and it's Psalms 137. And they said that some Levites in this group were ineligible for service because they had bitten off the fingers of their right hands so as not to be able to play instruments for the Babylonians. They had forced them to play music. Remember when they were under the tree and they said in Psalms 137, 1 through 4, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. 
And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing? Their reply is, The Lord's song in a foreign land. And I'm already reminded when a person is backslidden, has walked away from the Lord, all of the things that's happening in his life reminds him of that sweet fellowship with the Lord. And the Lord is still trying to draw them back. I don't know if that's true in the Midrash or not, but I know in Jerusalem in 537 BC that the number of Levites at the time was also small. It was 74 out of 43,000, only 74 left. Verse 16 says, Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, El Nathan, Jareb, El Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leaders also of, of Jorib, and El Nathan, men of understanding. Now, I'm prone to make mistakes. If I'm writing something, especially with numbers, somehow I get dyslexic. I'll write them backwards. But for this guy, and it's God breathed, you have to remember, to say El Nathan three times, either he was drinking the McCowan as he was writing this, or it's three El Nathans. And that's what he, what he says here. Men of understanding, and I gave them a command for Edo, the chief man at the place Casafia, and I told them what they should say to Edo and his brethren, the Nethanim, at the place of Casafia, that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. So Ezra, his response to the lack of Levites was to send out the leading men among the returnees to apply, he was applying pressure Ezra had to convince uh, these Levites, and I think it was pressure because they had to leave their cushy job. They were training people the word of God, and they also think it might have been a, a synagogue there. So they were teaching, but now if they go to Jerusalem, they've got to do a lot of labor. They've got to do a lot of work besides teaching and knowing the word of God. And so I'm sure they were thinking of all that when they heard. I'm sure they heard that Ezra was taking another group. Because remember, Artaxerxes says there was no pressure on anyone to return. If they wanted to, they could return. In the end, willing servants make the best servants. Ezra's strategy then was to send leading men to, to this community to pressure as, as the two men of insight to add diplomatic pressure to him. If they declined not to come, only they would be disappointed. Their fellow Jewish brothers, they would be disappointed. But more than that, God would be disappointed in them because that's why they were in the Levites family anyway. I know we're having this uh, VBS, and it's always a tough part to get service, even though here we do pretty good because you need people to come and rally around the vision, rally around those who are leaders, and serve. And that's one of the hardest things that church ministry, you're always lacking people to serve. And it's funny to me, I'm amazed at how we always lack the church in general, people to serve. We almost have to beg and continue to plead for people to serve when Jesus Christ gave up all his glory, 
put it on a shelf, as Philippians was said, and came down here to be a chief servant for us. And we should do the same thing. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hands finds to do, do it with your might. So that's willing service. It's always the prerequisite of someone who wants to serve. If they're willing, if their heart is real, willing, God will make a way for them to serve. And God will make their service sweet because they're wanting to serve for him. Anytime someone wants to serve, it shows me one thing, that they love the Lord. Because, you know, people can come to church and they can sit in the pews, get up and leave and do that Sunday in and Sunday out. But it's those that serve who are getting the most out of coming to church. God, that's where, besides reading your word and in prayer, God really pours into a person as they serve. Jesus Christ is right there along with us serving. Of 17, he says, the Nethanim at the place Casaphia, that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. We don't know truly where this place is. The old sayings is true, birds of a feather, they stick together. So all of the Levites at Babylon is at this place, Casaphia. It might be a synagogue there uh, where they would instruct the people how to use the, the utensils and things in the temple, but they had never had a real game. They were practicing for the real game. So these priests that are going back, they have to be excited to finally do what they were called to do. And then it says in verse 16, then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, El Nathan, Jerob, El Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leaders also for Jerob and El Nathan, men of understanding. The influence of Edo and his brothers proved successful. 38 Levites were found from two families. You know, they had to trace their... Family's history, they just couldn't say they were Levites. You had to prove you were Levites, and you had to trace your family all the way back down to Aaron. So they did that. Merari, I remember him in the book, them in the book of Numbers, a family was, that was a traditional. They, they carried the temple, the furnishings, and all those things the tribe of Merari did. Verse 17 says, And I gave them a command for Edo, the chief man at the place of Casaphia, and I told them what they should say to Edu. So he tells them exactly what to say. And his brethren, the Nethanim, at the place Casaphia, that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. So the pressure yielded about 250 priests, men to aid in the important task of the temple administration. Edu probably said, follow us and you may get trouble and hardship. There are no guarantees, and life will be hard. Are you willing to join us? That was a thought they had to wrap around their heads. Would they do that? You should be. You are Levites and temple servants. This is what God has called you to do. And it reminds me of Paul in Timothy when he said, share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I love reading uh, Bunyan. He is so, he has a fervor for the Lord. He has a passion for the Lord. 
And I've read Pilgrim Progress probably three or four times, but I didn't know this. It says in 1683, the year before the publication of the second part of Pilgrim's Progress and six years after his second period of imprisonment, John Bunyan wrote a volume entitled Seasonable Counsel or Advice to Sufferers. I think everybody should read that, Advice to Sufferers, in which he gave pastoral advice to those who were likely to face renewed persecution under the administration of King Charles II. In June of that year, there had been an aborted plot to assassinate the king. As a result, many had been tried and executed. Bunyan trustee was an attempt to lighten the more zealous who may have been courting trouble just for the sake of it, while at the same time exhorting that Christian did not timidly run from suffering in the course of addressing the latter group he wrote. A man, when he suffereth for Christ, is set upon a hill, upon a stage, as in a theater, to play a part for God in the world. When I read that, I couldn't help but to think of Erica. If she can get a day where she really doesn't suffer, it's a good day. But every time I call her, like I said, she says, Daddy, God is good. I do all, I, I, I trust him in what he, the way he's leading my life. Ezra had called these Levites to face whatever hardship lay before them as part they must play for God. Is God calling you, that's the question, to do something which there might be little visible reward or personal glory Are you not volunteering because you are reluctant to get involved in something which you will receive no applause? All of those things can go through your mind as someone asks you to serve or something. Are you more concerned about your own personal comfort than the cause of the kingdom of God? Is it asking too much for you to be involved in something, however menial it may be, We have to remember when the Lord Jesus was prepared to become a servant, to come here on this earth, he did not have to reach out for notoriety or glory. He already had it. But it says in Philippians, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What task could be too menial or small for any of us? I'm reminded of Chuck Smith. Matter of fact, it might have been the Calvary Distinctive. When he talks about people always run up, they want to teach. They want to, always want to teach. They just always want to teach. And Chuck would always say, well, this is the first step. Let's go clean the toilets. And he said many would, but many didn't. But we have to understand that God is wanting to see and know We don't, I don't have to have the limelight. We need to serve God because he served us and that's our ministry to God. No job should be too menial for us because Jesus, you have to understand that Jesus is right there with us. Whenever we're serving, whenever we're doing something, he's right there helping us. And nobody has ever stoop down or could stoop down low enough to humble himself 
like our great king, yet and still he did it. So that was the reasons the Levites, uh, Edu, spurred them on to go on and serve. Verse 18, then by the good hand of our God upon us. That's confidence. That's confidence. I don't know, when, when I'm at a red light for a seeming like five minutes, I don't think the good hand of the Lord is upon me at that time. But the good hand of the Lord, he was confident of that. It reminds me of John who would always say, the disciple that Jesus loved, he had confidence in that. And we can have confidence in that. We're the disciples Jesus loved, and we can have confidence that the Holy Spirit is residing in us. So we have favor with God. They brought us a man of understanding of the sons of Mali, the sons of Levi, the sons of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and brothers, 18 men. Now, I want us to see that at no time did Ezra or Nehemiah conclude that because God was working, that they could kick back and not work. I don't think God works like that. I think we join him as he works. We don't sit back and let go and let God. I know the saying, but God is wanting us to be in motion. And then he comes along to help us. So Ezra did not have that mindset. He did not have this passive mode. He always was working and he was praying that the Lord would come along him and work. And he had confidence because he, was, he knew he was doing the Lord's will. It's great. When you're doing the Lord's will, you can have confidence. It's when you're not doing the Lord's will, you shouldn't have any confidence. But when you know the Lord has told you something and you go right along and you begin to do it, you can have confidence. You might have obstacles after obstacles after obstacles. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, you raise your kids in the way of the Lord. That's going to help them more than anything. It might look like they will go sideways, but if you've done that, you can have confidence because you've done what the Lord has said. And that's why it's so good to walk with the Lord Every step you take when you're walking with the Lord, it's like David. I can run through a troop. I can jump over a wall. He has confidence because he's walking with the Lord. But when you're not walking with the Lord, you can't have confidence. We're here for the kingdom of God, and we should surrender to God, which means, in effect, surrendering to his will and joining him in his work because he's always working and we can have confidence in that. I like what the Apostle Paul said. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So while we're, really our job is just to yield. If we yield, God will work and put those impressions in our heart, then of course we do it, but the, all the work belongs to him. We work knowing that God works in and through us. Securing the Levites for the work in Jerusalem, Ezra may well have won, have considered a promise that God had made to David that he would always have a man 
on the throne. And that's why uh, I think the guy was named uh, Hutu. He was there. But he made the same prob- a promise to the Levites. Jeremiah 33, 17, 18 says this, For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, and the Levitical priest, there it is, and the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices, he says, forever. Hattush, he was the line of David, and he, he went back in the first group that went. So he was already there. And now the Levites are coming. So God, once again, he keeps his word because the hand of the Lord was on Ezra and it was for good. So none of his words fell. When a genuine need arises, we may do as Ezra did. We may engage in active planning. We've done that for VBS. And wise strategy, we've done that also deploying all the skills at our disposal. But in the end, it's up to the Lord. And that comes by with prayer. We should be praying every day for the VBS, praying that no one gets hurt. A lot of kids will be saved. That's, that's God's heart. God wants that to happen. But are we praying for that before it even starts? We should be praying for those things. Trust in the Lord and then you attend to God, and he will do the rest. We know Ezra refused to ask the king for a military escort, and you uh, just oppose that with Nehemiah, because Nehemiah had no problem with his flare prayer to ask the king for a military uh, export to go there. If I was, had to ride with either one of them, I would have went with Nehemiah, because he had the guards and everything. I would have said, Ezra, shh, be quiet. Because I'm sure the king would have allowed Ezra to have that escort. But Ezra trusts, he trusted so much on the Lord that he says, no, I don't need it. God is with us. And you know by the river, one of the tributaries at Ahava, that he was thinking all along, man, I should have asked. I should have asked. That was a long prayer meeting, but God shows himself faithful because he trusted in, the God, in God. We think of Gideon, how he put one test after another to God. We think of Manoah and his wife, even Philip. So God, he doesn't, I think it makes no difference to him whether we ask for a sign or not. But Ezra was the one who says no I know my God wants this to happen, and I know he will make it happen. He's going to protect us because he's put it on my heart to do this. We don't need your escort. And so it was exceptional that he did that. More accept, uh, exceptional that after he says that, when he gets to the tributaries, he's there for three days. And I know all three days they were fasting and praying. Ezra 21 says this. Then I proclaimed a fast there. I bet you did. You know, it's, it's amazing. I don't know about you guys. I, I'm always like this. I'll say something, and I'm full of confidence when I say it. And then after two or three days, I start to doubt. I'll never forget the first time Pastor Mark asked me to teach. And I, he called me in the office. He said, hey, well, I want you to teach for me. I didn't even know it was coming. 
I said, sure, I, I can do it. Thank you. <laughs> I think he told me on a Thursday. And then that next Wednesday, it was a Wednesday evening I taught. And by Wednesday evening, I was so nervous. I said, I shouldn't even, I shouldn't even sit I'm I, I just nervous. I think it was a 10-minute, 15-minute. Uh, y'all would have loved it. <laughs> Meaning. But that's what this guy is feeling, Ezra. The Holy Spirit prompted him to say this. He wanted to say it. But you know, doubts of fears, doubts of this may happen, doubts that that might happen. That's why it's always good to be around believing friends. Really, better is spirit-filled believing friends because they have the mind of Christ. But then the doubts begin to come. And he says this, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves. Notice he says we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed. We'd find out why he didn't. I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road. And you better believe there was enemies. The Holy Spirit doesn't give us the examples of what came their way. But even in the end, when they get there, they said all of the things that happened to us, God was faithful. Because we had spoken to the king. No, I had spoken to the king saying, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him. So there's a stipulation there. I want you to hear that. He says, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him. But his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. Verse 23, so we fasted and entreated our God for this. I'm sure that the prayer meeting was a long one, and everybody, especially Ezra, was passionate in their prayers. I want to say this because I always have, no matter what I come up with, when I come up with things and which is not often, Pastor Brian, he always, he always, well, did you think about this and did you think about that? And like Pastor Jonathan always says, it's good. Because once again, I'm a big vision guy, but I don't focus in on all the details. So you can have, you need someone to do that. It's almost like, hey, we need to do this, we need to do that. And Brian has a needle and just burst in my helium bubble. (laughs) (laughs) And so the reason I say that, God knows all of us. He he knows who who to put beside us. Nehemiah said, hey, yeah, I'll take the escort. Thank you, king. And he praised God for it. But Ezra says, nah, we don't need it. Showing confidence in the Lord. Like I said, I would have much rather been with Nehemiah than Ezra on that trip. But two people can be right, and that's why we have many different parts of the body of Christ. Jonathan has taught me a lot of this. You you need everybody because, of course, I can't keep everything under control and remember everything, but that's why you have other people in the body who is the stronger suits of knowing everything and doing things. It's been a blessing to me because I know Pastor Brian is not going to let me jump off the mountain. <laughs> He's going to say, hey, did you 
get your parachute? Did you do this? Did you do that? And sometimes you can get frustrated with that. But then I sat back and I said, you know, that's good, God. And I've always said since we planted this church that God knows me and he's put godly men around me. And, and it's just a blessing. It's just a blessing. He answers our prayers. Verse 24, and I separated 12 of the leaders of the priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their brethren with them and weighed out, they're there, and weighed out to them the silver, the gold, and the articles, the offerings for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel who were present had offered. I weighed into their, I weighed into their hands 650 talents of silver. I should have got what the, how much that money is, is today. Silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 gold basins worth 1,000 drachmas, and two vessels of fine polished bronze, precious as gold. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord. The articles are holy also, and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, our, our uh, Lord God of your fathers. Now, notice what he says. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and heads of the father's houses of Israel and Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites received the silver and the gold and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. Now on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the priest. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. With them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Bainu, with the number and weight of everything. All the weight was written down at that time. The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. They had made it. Verse 35, the children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. I bet they did. Twelve bulls for all Israel 96 rams, 77 lambs, and 12 male goats as a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They were excited. They were happy. And they delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps and the governors in the region beyond the river. So they gave support to the people and the house of God. 900 miles. Ezra was confident in the Lord. How confident are we in the Lord? He said he never leave us nor forsake us. He says in this world, we're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. We, I say it all the time, we should be the most confident people in the world, knowing, and I say this all the time, that Jesus has hit the home run. The scoreboard just hasn't changed, but we win. And if God is for us, who can be against us? In every endeavor... In every trial, we should walk in confidence. We should be humble, but we should walk in confidence in the Lord. 
He is with us, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. They're going to run into some problems. We know that with the mixed marriages and all, that's going to be very interesting. I think Nehemiah, which one pulls out his hair and the other one pulls out the other guy's hair? That was the smart guy. I think Nehemiah pulls the other guy's hair out, the other people's hair, and Ezra pulls his own hair out. But uh, once again, I would have been doing what Nehemiah did. <laughs> I don't like pain. Any questions or comments? This has been, this is, is, it's been a great book. I, I, I don't think I've ever taught Ezra, but it, it's a good book. We're going to teach it on a Sunday. I'll close with this. God, every word he puts here for us is for a reason. We are under a better covenant. I don't want those seven or eight words to fall on death ears or death hearts because the good hand of the Lord was upon me. It's a reason, he said, hand. And it's a reason that the new covenant says the Holy Spirit resides in us. Jesus told his disciples that you, you should do greater things than I did. He didn't say that just to say it. He said it because it's true. He's gone up into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit resides in us if we would yield and be obedient to him. There's no telling what Calvary Restore could be. It's no telling what the whole city of Beaufort or Lawrenceville could be. But we've got to get there. We can't become so lukewarm and lethargic and say, hey, I've arrived, because we will never arrive on this side of heaven. We should always be striving to, to walk better and to yield to the Lord more quickly than we do, because he's willing and he's ready to give us his power. And that's what we need. We can't do the, do the work on our own. So continue to pray for VBS. Continue to pray for those that are hurting. I've been having, I don't know why I've been, have been having Sue and Bob on my heart, but continue to lift them up in prayer, okay? That's all I have for tonight. Be ready for next Wednesday, Jonathan. Don't come here. <laughs> Michael, yeah, don't come here. Go to... Alexander, oh, you're dismissed. Have a